0: Hi everybody, Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast on JustThenews.com. I hope today you will pre-order my new book that's coming out, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Today a look at what the latest polls are telling us about who's going to win the next presidential election and an eye-opening look at the polling from around the same time in the Trump-Clinton fight in 2016. First, an important disclaimer. I am not a political reporter. I'm not a polling expert. Nothing that I'm about to say in this podcast is to try to pretend that I know what the outcome of the election will be, or that I'm giving my prediction as an onlooker. We'll save that for another time. But maybe that's the point. The reporting on the polls and the predictions that we're hearing right now often seem to come with no self-reflection on the part of the media, as if all of the mistakes of 2016 never happened. It's amazing, really, this phenomenon of dropping that information down the memory hole as if it never happened. That's a focus of my new book, by the way, Slanted, as I mentioned, I hope you will pre-order it today, you will love it. But I haven't dropped the information from 2016 down the memory hole. And I guess my main point is that none of the polls and predictions necessarily mean that much other than they may be mildly interesting, but they don't necessarily inform us of much of anything at this point if recent history is our guide. And no matter what, nothing has been decided. Anything can happen. So it seems odd to hear some journalists and pundits and analysts telling us before the first vote has been counted that Trump will appear to win on election night. They're already giving us a name they want us to use, the Red Mirage, and that Trump's lead will then disappear when all the mail-in ballots are counted. Does that seem strange to you that nobody has even cast a vote yet and they pretend to know all of this, setting us up for this expectation? Anyway, before we look at what polls are saying now, and some of what they were saying around this time in 2016, we need only look at polls that say entirely different things today. Let's look at the battleground state of Pennsylvania, very important. There is a Quinnipiac poll out of likely voters, about 1,100 of them, that comes out with Biden, eight points ahead of Trump in Pennsylvania, 52% for Biden, 44% for Trump. But look at another poll taken about the same time period, about the same number of likely voters, Rasmussen reports. They have it as a tie, 46% to 46%, completely different. Then look at Monmouth, which interviewed a very small number of registered voters, not likely voters, and they have Biden up by three points. So Biden is either up by three points or up by eight points or tied with President Trump if you look at the latest three polls that have been posted. And I'll deviate for just a moment. When I speak about the latest polls that have been posted, only the publicly released polls go into the averaging. And maybe you've noticed if you look at polls for fun like I've tended to do the last few years that there are great gaps of time with no publicly reported polls nationally or in certain states. So it doesn't always make sense. There's not a scientific spacing whereby the polling average is based on one poll twice a week for X number of weeks. It's just random and sporadic. Whatever polls happen to be released are averaged into these polling averages. If a poll isn't taken, maybe at a time when one candidate or the other would have scored well, it doesn't get averaged in. And to see that there were critical times in recent months when I was wondering what was going on with the polls. And I saw days go by after sometimes polling one day after the other. There would be gaps of days and sometimes weeks without polls. And I would think, why isn't anybody doing a poll during what seems like a pretty interesting and critical time? Then I started thinking, you know, there is no responsibility on the part of someone conducting a poll or commissioning a poll, the news organization doesn't have to release it. There's no law that says when you commission a poll, if you, as the news organization, don't wish to release the results of the poll, nothing says you have to. And it kind of got me wondering about the timing and the lack of polling during certain time periods and then frequent polling in other time periods. That would totally impact the averages or the reporting on polls. And not to sound skeptical, but we know for a fact that some news organizations have specifically declared that they want to defeat Donald Trump. Do you think that those news organizations who have declared that agenda, if they come up with a poll that doesn't look quite like they wish it looked, do you think that maybe they would choose not to release that poll or perhaps add more time to it with more voters or more respondents until they get a better result that they do want to release. I mean, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility, especially considering today's environment and some of the behavior that we've seen in the media. Just food for thought. Let's look at another battleground state, a state where it's very important for one or the other to win could mean something very big. There are six of them that are considered super important. North Carolina. Biden is said to be ahead by about four in North Carolina. But let's look at the predictions from 2016 when it comes to North Carolina. Around this time, in the August time period, actually in 2016, Clinton held the lead over Trump 43% to 41%. But in 2016, Trump actually won North Carolina by almost 4%. The final tally there was 49.83%, or about 50% for Trump, to Clinton's 46%. So the polling at this time in the campaign in 2016 in North Carolina was off by about nine percentage points, and it was in Trump's favor in the end. In other words, the polls looked worse for Trump than they actually turned out to be in North Carolina. In fact, let's look at some of the news coverage From this time period in 2016, when it was said that Trump was behind Clinton in North Carolina, an article in IndieWeek.com on August 9th, 2016 said, Clinton leads Trump 43% to 41% in a poll released today. Her favorability has remained basically unchanged. However, Trump's is starting to see a downward spiral. Now, remember, a downward spiral would imply that here in August, if he's at 41%, a downward spiral means he's going to be continuing to go way down, almost irreversible. This is the language that's being used. And it points out that in June of 2016, the month before, North Carolina voters polled a favorability rating of 39% for Clinton, and that it had gone up to 40% for her. So they claim she's going up and he's on a downward spiral. This is August of 2016, a story in Politico in August of 2016 in North Carolina said, this is by Katie Gluick, the GOP hoped to hold on to this Southern state, but Republicans here fear a lost cause, time running out on Trump in North Carolina. And a quote from that article says, interviews with more than a dozen North Carolina operatives and lawmakers reveal that Trump has failed to consolidate the Republican base in North Carolina. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? She goes on to write, Worse, according to these sources, he is particularly driving away female and independent voters who are crucial in Republican-leaning suburbs, such as Apex, outside of Raleigh. Sounds familiar, Right. And then it goes on to say, Meanwhile, they say Hillary Clinton's extensive field organization and saturation of the airwaves make it even harder for Trump's bare-bones late-starting operation to catch up, despite a recent organization of his team here. And the article mentions that recent national polls were showing Trump in 2016 at this point in time, lagging Clinton by anywhere from 1 to 9 percentage points And again, to remind you that this dire-sounding status for Trump in North Carolina in 2016, well, he ended up winning North Carolina by 3.67%, rounding that up to a 4% win, despite these dire projections. I decided to look up another battleground state, Wisconsin. A lot of reporting on that lately. And right now, at least at the time I'm recording this podcast, Biden is said to be up by about eight in Wisconsin over Trump. So I went back and looked at 2016, about this time period, and there were some post-convention polls that put Clinton ahead by 15 in Wisconsin. 15 points. So she was way ahead of where Biden is today, according to the polls. Seven points even more over Trump than Biden is in Wisconsin. But what happened in Wisconsin? Well, Trump won Wisconsin. The actual tally was 0.77%. He won it by less than 1%. But remember, they were predicting him to be 15 points down. So that was off by almost 16 percentage points. It Sounded pretty dire for Trump at this time in Wisconsin in 2016. But he won it. I'm not implying that that's going to happen again. I'm just pointing out that he's behind by less than they said he was around this time in 2016, and I'm pointing out that it's pretty much impossible based on recent history to use the polls that are out today as a prediction, a firm prediction of what's about to happen. After a short break, I will be back with more looking back at 2016 and what we may be able to learn from that today. We're back. In terms of looking at how the media commissions polls and reports on polls, one great example comes from an NBC Wall Street Journal poll and the reporting on it about a year ago, so toward the beginning of campaign 2020 in September of 2019. The poll generated the headline, Record 69% of voters say they dislike Trump personally, regardless of their policy views. So obviously a very negative headline was chosen. Big number, 69% as if that many people are against Trump. So as I've tried to do the last few years when I see a poll like this to get some more inside information, I take a look at the details of the polls And as I often do, I find other possible headlines that could have been chosen if one wished to spin it in a different direction. Sort of a critical thinking exercise. I look at the data and say, is there information there that could give an entirely different impression than the one that was chosen? Oftentimes there is. So when I looked at this particular poll, the NBC Wall Street Journal poll, September of 2019, if you want to look it up, just search the Internet under record 69% of voters, and I think it'll come up. But the full, again, the full headline, record 69% of voters say they dislike Trump personally. Well, forget about whether people say they like Trump personally. If you actually look at the numbers in the poll, Trump's very positive rating in the same poll actually matched his record high, in February of 2019 and I might mention that this poll tracks presidents even after they are out of office and asks people how they view them in terms of positivity and Trump's very positive ranking in this poll bested more than 14 years of George W. Bush's very positive numbers starting back in July 2005 through the date of this 2019 poll. And Trump's very positive ranking beat out more than nine years of Bill Clinton's numbers from June of 2001 to September of 2010. And Trump's very positive rating topped Barack Obama's numbers from June 2013 through April of 2016. Not only did Trump's very positive number, which, by the way, was about 30%, Not only did that equal his record high from February of 2019, in the September 2019 timeframe, it was also double the number he'd had just before he was elected, because that was just 15% right before he was elected. I'm gonna remind you of the headline chosen for this poll. A record 69% of voters say they dislike Trump personally, reported NBC Wall Street Journal poll. But I'm telling you about all of these very positive numbers that had that been reported would seem to fly in the face of the chosen headline. Another relevant data point is a matter of who were the respondents in the NBC Wall Street Journal poll in question in September of 2019. 38% said they had voted for Trump, but 47% had voted for someone else, mostly Hillary Clinton. So in other words, the poll that purported to find Trump, according to the headline, reaching a record high in terms of dislike, had actually surveyed a sample of people who voted against Trump by a margin of 10 percentage points. Now, had the poll surveyed a more balanced representation, obviously the numbers would have come out differently. Had the media not been looking for a disparaging finding, they would not have hidden these gangbuster, very positive numbers that had beaten out nearly three years of Barack Obama's. So something to keep in mind when you read polling headlines and results, what has been left on the table? What have they decided not to report? Even after they have maybe massaged the results a little bit with their weighting formulas to try to make them, in their view, at least more accurate. But what have they taken out? What have they changed? What have they left on the table? Just for fun, let's look back at a few more news items from around this same time period in the election cycle, but in 2016. Around August fifteenth, two 2016, there was a little article in Vox.com, the left-leaning propaganda blog. Here are a few excerpts from that article. It says, Donald Trump's post-convention collapse has hurt him in the polls across the country But it's really hurt his numbers in some crucial swing states in particular, states that would be enough to give Hillary Clinton an Electoral College majority. It goes on to say, Now Trump is trailing in an average of post-convention poll results for every swing state from the past two cycles. That includes, of course, the traditional powerhouses of Florida and Ohio, where Clinton has taken single-digit leads. Me speaking now, Trump, of course, won Florida and Ohio. The Vox article goes on to say, but there are six states that have moved especially dramatically in Clinton's direction. Four of these, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire, have pretty consistently supported Democratic presidential candidates for decades and, says Vox, are returning to old form despite speculation that Trump could put them in play this year. And I might mention, so of the four states there that... Box is talking about Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire, where they seem certain Clinton was going to win. Trump won three of the four. And adding to that, of course, as I mentioned, that he won Florida and Ohio, where they also said Clinton was ahead. If you'd like to read that Box article for fun by Andrew Procope or Procop, it's entitled Right Now Polls Show Donald Trump Losing Every Single Swing State. And that was dated August 15th, 2016. A few more fun quotes to reminisce with from that article. It says, Clinton currently has very large leads in enough states to give her the presidency. And it says, Post-convention polls put Clinton ahead by 9 to 10 points in Michigan, which Trump won, and 15 points in Wisconsin, which Trump won. These six swing states that seem to be the most clearly tipping toward Clinton are Michigan, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Colorado, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Michigan and Wisconsin are two states that haven't voted for a Republican presidential candidate in more than two decades, but Trump won. Another article and poll worth mentioning from 2016. This was in September of 2016. The Washington Post did a 50-state poll regarding Trump and Clinton, and theguardian.com was reporting on it and talks about Clinton holding leads of four to five points in Wisconsin, which Trump won, seven points in Michigan, which Trump won, and four points in Pennsylvania, which Trump won. Moving to the national polling in 2016, there was an ABC Washington Post poll in late October of 2016 that showed Hillary Clinton leading Trump by 12 points. And Associated Press released its own poll the same month, October 2016, showing Clinton ahead by a whopping 14 points. And then something strange happened. About a week later, the same ABC Washington Post poll that had Clinton leading Trump by 12 points suddenly flipped and showed Trump ahead by one point, a 13-point switch in one week, in Trump's favor without a major news event happening in that interim to explain it. In light of this look back at how the polling and the reporting on polls went in 2016, it seems to me that it's notable by its absence that today's reporting on polls and polling doesn't include the disclaimer or the reminder of how things went in 2016, but it's something that you can keep in mind as you watch news coverage and try to be an analytical thinker, looking at the media and the news as we go into campaign 2020. And I think it's a good idea to keep all of this in mind when you think about the party line that we hear, the line that was developed after the 2016 election, where a lot of people now say, well, the polls were really accurate in 2016. I think that's a silly claim because they picked the wrong winner. If the polls end up picking the wrong winner, I think it's pretty hard to sugarcoat that and say that the polls were actually correct. Maybe it's just me. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. Partisan pundits, analysts, and anonymous sources fill news space, leaving little room for facts. The line between opinion and fact has disappeared. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, we talk about the struggles inside newsrooms where journalism used to rule. For the first time, dozens of current and former top national news executives, producers, and reporters give insider accounts in my book. They're speaking with shocking candor about their own industry's devolution. Americans know their news diet is now filled with fast food concoctions created from talking point recipes devised by partisan and corporate interests. They see a record number of fact mistakes made by some of the world's most formerly well-respected media outlets, often with no apologies. And the media largely blames Donald Trump. But as my book Slanted shows, it's sort of an autopsy and it indicates the death of the news as we once knew it is self-inflicted, and the weapon was the narrative. I hope you'll consider supporting independent journalism, fighting information control by pre-ordering Slanted Today, and pick up a copy for somebody you care about, a perfect holiday gift because it's coming out November 24th. Solve your problems finding that perfect gift for somebody who has everything else by pre-ordering Slanted Today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out JustTheNews.com. And don't forget to subscribe to all of the Just the News podcasts and the Cheryl Ackeson podcast wherever you like to listen. Watch out for my other podcast as well. It's called Full Measure After Hours. That's connected to my Sunday television news program. Our new season, season number six of Full Measure, begins September 13th. We do all kinds of investigative, original, in-depth, off-narrative reporting without an agenda. Without the spin, the good old-fashioned way that you used to be accustomed to, to find out a TV station near you or how to watch on an app or online, you can go to CherylAxon.com and click the full measure tab for all the information. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.